Welcome to Why Not Faith, the podcast that gives you accurate information about religious views on controversial issues such as climate change, mental health, abortion, and much more, whilst also giving you a chance to gather a greater understanding of the people behind the faith. I'm Jeeves, your podcast host, and today I'm joined in our lavish studio by our very own Rabbi Natan, talking us through Judaism and how his faith can help tackle some of the issues facing our society today. How are you feeling today, Natan? Thank God you're doing well. Good to be here. <laughs> Good to be here. Um, so let's get straight into the content. Uh, how did you become a rabbi? Um, well, um, you know, when I was uh, growing up, my, I told my grandmother at a certain point after a couple of years in yeshiva, the Jewish seminary, that I wanted to be a rabbi, and her first was, response was, that's not a good job for a Jewish boy. <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> it sort of dawned on me sort of gradually. Uh, I didn't grow up with any sort of Jewish religious training, pretty secular. Um, in fact, my parents were avid Marxists, so they really believed that Judaism, like every religion, was the opiate of the masses. Um, and it wasn't until after university, I went for a six-month sort of taster into this yeshiva world where one learns the rabbinical text, uh, the, what's called the oral tradition. There's the written Torah, biblical stuff, and then around it there's all the legal codes and stories and aphorisms called the oral tradition, basically surrounded around a book called the Talmud, a set of books. And that's what you learn all day. I fell in love with it. I just couldn't get enough learning. The rabbis, the way of thinking and interacting was amazing. The dialogue between them was fantastic. And six months became six years. Um, and after learning all that, I wanted to give something back. So, ergo, they said, okay, you know, after all that learning, they give you a rabbinical ordination and send you out into the world. So what made you get um, involved in a career in interfaith relations? That also sort of came really slowly. I um, was the Jewish chaplain for universities uh, for Bristol in the West Country. And we were doing a couple of events and one of them was putting together uh, a kosher food in the union restaurant and shop. And we couldn't do it. For the life of us, we just couldn't get together to get kosher food. Just wasn't enough Jewish students there. They were a little unclear. And we were approached by the ISOC, the Islamic Society. And they said, we're trying to get halal food into the same places. Let's work together. As soon as we worked together, even though the Jewish society and the Islamic society had all kinds of political issues, yeah. mainly around Israel-Palestine, that they were struggling with, they came together around this concept and got that shop filled with kosher and halal food. It, trans- it was transformative. At that moment, um, it sort of dawned on me that when faith work together, they have an incredible amount of uh, ability, potential to get things done. Not only that, but afterwards, the JSOC and ISOC kept having events together, sharing their food. They were so excited by the fact that they could walk in and, and have that experience together that they were able to get over some of their differences. So using the tool of interfaith to bring people together and create change came from that small seed idea um, came to London and just sort of kept doing it a bit by bit. Is there a place for humor in religion? <laughs> There's always a place for humor in religion. Um, you know, even the rabbis are willing to crack a few jokes here and there. In fact, my best sermons always start with a joke. The classic, um, a rabbi and imam. <laughs> <laughs> an imam all together. Yeah. <laughs> in a room. 
Yeah, I, I tend to think that humor um, breaks down some of the barriers between people in general. Um, and, you know, the, there's an expression, a Yiddish expression, which uh, I'll say in Yiddish first. How's your Yiddish? <laughs> I just make it up. It'll be a lot better after today, I'm guessing. <laughs> it goes, Mensch plach, but God lach. Man plans and God laughs. Uh, so I think God is always a little bit laughing at our, at our deeds in this world. That's for me, at least. On the subject of red meat, a lot of environmental activists say that to reduce uh, eating red meat or any kind of meat uh, would help with the current environmental crisis and climate change. How do you think that religion, or specifically Judaism, could help with um, these sort of environmental initiatives to reduce carbon emissions? Great question. So the group of thinkers who are basing themselves on, a, on one of the first texts, an idea back in Genesis, that Adam was a vegetarian. Right. It says very clearly in the early chapters of Genesis that Adam only ate from the grains of the field. And only after the flood was Noah given the concession, really, to eat animals as well. Um, one of the commentators there, uh, in, on the commentators, the biblical exegesis commentators, say it was a concession because the bloodthirstiness of human beings could be assuaged if they had animals to kill as opposed to each other. Right. So maybe eating animals isn't the ideal. The ideal is to go back to the Garden of Eden, back to paradise, back to Adam, and be vegetarians. Ah, oh, if we can't do that, God's going to allow us to eat meat, but only in very particular ways, with the right kind of knife, and the right kind of animals, in the proper way, with the proper person. But perhaps what the religious Jewish vegetarianism can add is, vegetarianism isn't something that we should need to like reach out to but something that we can go back it's maybe it's a primordial way of eating at the onset could i convince you to be vegetarian well except for one thing there's a <laughs> there, i love chicken soup on friday night on the sabbath okay uh, good chicken soup is, is hard to beat um and my wife makes a mean one <laughs> i have to bring it next time you're you're on the show <laughs> <laughs> chicken soup. Chicken soup. with the knedelach and the carrots it's good to go <laughs> Um, okay, so with religion, there's always the issue of radicalism um, and extremism. Yeah. How do you think that uh, Judaism teachings can be misinterpreted or encourage or inspire extremist acts of violence? You know, um, I once asked my teacher, my every rabbi should have a rabbi. Yeah. I asked him the same question um, after a horrific attack that happened in Hebron where a religious Jewish extremist walked in and basically massacred a group of Muslim people in prayer. And, and, and I went to him afterward and said, I deeply believe in that. I'm learning to be a rabbi. I deeply believe in this religion. I believe it's the, it's the religion that te teaches shalom, peace. What just happened? And how can we be part of Judaism? And he said, you know, Natan, um, we think that religion is there to make people better. That's not true. He said, religion, Judaism in this case, is a little bit like water. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, when you pour water on a field, it's going to help grow whatever is planted there already. So if you are someone who's full of seeded with, you know, it's beautiful flowers, so to speak, your soul is already a place of beauty. You pour water on it, what are you going to get? 
flowers. Flowers. But if your soul, your being, is already filled with thorns and thistles, you pour water on it, what's going to happen? More thorns. Yeah. More thistles. It's going to be a big mess. He says, Jesus isn't there to lead people right or wrong. It'll help strengthen who they are, which is a huge challenge. And I think a bit of extremism that comes from it is that awareness that religion strengthens who we are. So a lot of what we need to look at isn't, is religion doing right or wrong by us, but who and what are we saying to our children, to our pupils, to each other, that's going to help us you know, see the right kind of seeds in the ground. A lot of that, I think, comes from interfaith as well, where we seed really positive flowers um, with each other. How often do you see Jewish sort of acts of violence or extremism? <laughs> Trying to define that term. Some people say the, the, the current Israeli government is a bit of an extremist uh, run there. Um, I tend to think that um, religion can always be misused. It's a tool, like many other tools. And therefore, people use religion to achieve their own ends every single day. You see it in the news, you see it in the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, and I think our job here at Interfaith is organization is to just keep with a clarion call um, it's called, uh, the prophet Elijah says, it's called the Hebrew, the still small voice we're here to put the still small voice back into the debate to make sure that people listen to you know, some deeper soulful truth that's not about using religion to achieve their own ends yeah I love how you phrased it back in the uh question that I asked you before about how religion is meant to solidify who you are as a person because a big critique with the religion is that people think that it's a means of control so what mm. do you say to people when they say especially in the past that religion used to be uh, used to make people pay their taxes make people pay more taxes what would be your response yeah to accept their lot and like you know you're going to suffer in this world to get to the next world exactly um, I, I can't speak for all religions but I tend to find that some of the leading thinkers about how to make the world a better place in the here and now that really um you know um when i became a rabbi at ordination um my teacher got up and said the role of the rabbi is to make the uncomfortable comfortable and the comfortable a little uncomfortable right that we're consistently trying to push those who you know are successful and have too much perhaps of their share to give away to to, to share to give a ten percent there's there's a um, a rule that if you have every bit of your profit you have to give ten percent away to charity it's called sadaka and it runs through Judaism as well as Islam and sakat um, and I think concepts like that one are always there to sort of uproot the status quo not to keep it. That's fantastic because a big theme of this show is about how religion, in this case Judaism, can help tackle uh, problems of society and economic inequality is a big issue and um, things like that um, will help to breach the gap um, mm -hmm. in society. But then looking at other issues such as mental health, how do you think that Judaism could help uh, reduce suicide rates for instance or just make people feel as if the world that they're in is easier? There's been a little bit of research that actually um, having a religious life makes people happier. Yeah. Um, Alan DeBotton has, has an entire book on this. Um, and 
I, I think it's pretty valid, actually. I'm, I'm not sure if it's religion per se or just having a community structure, a network of support that when things are, you know, not at an equilibrium or, or on a balanced level, you can turn to those in your community who you can trust um, a safe pair of hands, you know, a, a place to go. Um, one of the things I love about Judaism is on the Sabbath day, everyone goes, tries to go to synagogue, um, and at the end of the synagogue service, people will say, oh, do you want to come back for a meal? Do you want to come in to, back to my place and we'll have a meal together? So there's often a sense of community that shares uh, simple things, food, experience, ritual, uh, those things, I think, um, keeping a pattern of ritual and sharing intact may have some answers for some mental health cases. Um, but it's a really unexplored area, and I think a lot of rabbis aren't yet equipped to recognize signs of mental illness and then to know what to do with it. For example, when I was in yeshiva, there place where rabbis learn to be rabbis, they never told us about, you know, mental illness or how to recognize the symptoms or what to look for, what to do about it. So I can tell you 100% which way, you know, how to keep the chicken soup away from the milky pot or, you know, how to um, put on your tallis, your prayer shawl, uh, just the right kind of intention called kavana. But some of the more practical elements are just now entering into the pedagogy of how to become a rabbi, at least in the Orthodox tradition where I was taught. You touched on community before in your answer. How important is community in the Jewish religion? Um, well, you know, I think that um, this goes back about 2,000 years. So it used to be that Judaism was pretty much a temple cult yeah. kind of religion where everything was centered around the temple in Jerusalem. That was destroyed by the Romans about 2,000 years ago, the Second Temple. And from then, the rabbis were, made this radical choice, right? Um, and what they said is, we've lost the temple, but we haven't lost Judaism. We've lost the sacrifices, but we still need to keep our Judaism alive for the long term. They saw that there was going to be years, perhaps, of persecution and exile. And so they shifted. Instead of sacrifices, they put in prayer. The sacrifice of the heart, it's called. You sacrifice your time, you sacrifice, you know, your space, and you go and pray instead of killing a little animal. I, I think I prefer that, actually. Um, and instead of a temple, they now said there'll be places uh, called synagogues, little temples in every community. Beit Knesset, they're called, which doesn't mean a place of prayer, it means a place of gathering. And a Beit Knesset, a synagogue, really is a place of gathering. Um, you can, you know, it's a place where people go to pray, to eat, to share, to have events for children. Um, the goal of a synagogue these days is much more like a communal center. And the rabbis did a third thing as well. They said, we've lost the sacrificial altar. That's become your table at your own home when you invite guests, when you invite the poor. When you put food that serves others, that gives out to guests, when you share your food, you've given a bit of a sacrifice in the same way the priest once did in the temple. Thank you for listening to part one of the interview. If you wish to hear more about what Rabbi Natan thinks about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, homosexuality, abortion, and his response to the God of the Gaps argument, part two is available now.